This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Psychedelics can help address an underlying challenge of living in modern society, the lack of human connection. These medicines remind us to be grateful for our friends, family, and the beauty of life. They deepen our empathy and help connect us with nature, spirituality, and the universe. By reducing our egos, we can concentrate on pure creation without feeling shackled by the judgments of others. Valeria interviews Paul F. Austin. He is the author of Mastering Microdosing, How to Use Sub-Perceptual Psychedelics to Heal Trauma, Improve Performance, and Transform Your Life. Paul F. Austin, a prominent figure in psychedelics, has guided millions to safe and meaningful psychedelic experiences through his work as the founder of Third Wave. Featured in Forbes, Rolling Stone, and the BBC's Work Life, He pioneers the convergence of psychedelics, personal transformation, and professional success. Paul empowers leaders, creatives, and pioneers to leverage psychedelics for profound personal and professional growth. He views psychedelics as refined skills cultivated through mentorship, exploration, and purposeful use, critical for humanity's ongoing evolution. As the longest-standing and youngest entrepreneur in this field, Paul's focus on merging psychedelics with professional development is evident in his transformative training program, Psychedelic Coaching Institute. The program caters to individuals who seek to integrate their psychedelic experiences into their business practices, all under the guidance of one of the industry's most trusted leaders. Meet Paul at paulaustin.co, thethirdwave.co, and psychedeliccoaching.institute. Here's the interview with Paul F. Austin. In your own words, who is Paul F. Austin? So I would say I'm I'm a teacher, I am an entrepreneur. I am someone who really is passionate about and believes in the power of psychedelic medicine for both healing and transformation. Um, you know, when I started this path many years ago on a personal level and about eight years ago on a professional level, it really imbued my life with a sense of optimism and hope. Um, And it really helped me to heal and transform myself. And now, you know, I've been so grateful for the work 
that I've that I've been able to do professionally because now we've seen how many people are are having their lives changed through microdosing and other other psychedelic substances. So teacher, entrepreneur, uh, and someone who's just really passionate about psychedelics. Yes, uh, what's well, not to love about all that, especially when you speak of healing and transformation. Ah, uh, we do need that. So with that in mind, I want to mention the book as well. You have written a book titled Mastering Microdose, How to Use Subperceptual Psychedelics to Heal Trauma, Improve Performance, and Transform Your Life. So talk to me about the main intention and the purpose of writing this book. So microdosing has been uh, around for the last, I don't know, 11 or 12 years. There was a book that was published in 2011 called The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide, and it had a chapter on microdosing. And in the last 12 years since that book has been published, microdosing has really uh, become quite prominent. There's been a lot of articles written about it, a lot of podcasts about it, a lot of research done on it. And I myself started microdosing about eight years ago. I microdosed with LSD about twice a week for six months. And I had two core intentions for that microdosing protocol. One was to uh, reduce my alcohol intake. And the second intention was to be more productive, to access more flow. And I noticed that microdosing was very helpful and effective uh, with those two intentions. And so after I finished my microdosing protocol, I was like, I really think more people need to, you know, learn about microdosing. I really think a lot of people could benefit from microdosing. So I started to publish online articles and blogs. I wrote and published the first edition of this book in 2016, yeah. so seven years ago. And this yeah. is now the third edition. Yeah. And the reason I've written this book is to be a central resource for everything microdosing. So whether you're a beginner who, you know, has never heard of microdosing and you want to get a sense of what is this, how might I benefit from this, what's some of the science and research from it, or maybe you're someone who's heard about microdosing but you've never actually done it, then this book is going to give you some of the starting points and tips about how to have a safe and effective microdosing protocol. But it's also for folks who maybe they've tried microdosing a few times, but they really want to refine their overall approach to microdosing. And this book, Mastering Microdosing, also goes into detail on that. So basically, no matter the interest or purpose or intention for someone who is looking to microdose, this book is really you know, a phenomenal resource to uh, take a deep dive. And it's written in a very accessible way. Um, it's not too long. And it covers all of the foundational elements of how to have a successful microdosing protocol. Mm, yes. Thank you for sending me a copy. I mean, it has been an interesting reading. I, I'm not finished yet. I have to go back, actually. So I guess the other question for you is about healing, psychedelics and healing. So in, mm -hmm. in a book, you say psychedelics are an excellent tool for optimal healing. I would love to know what that, what's the meaning of that when you say optimal healing? What, how would you describe that? Yeah, so any healing process is punctuated with modalities that work 
and some that don't work. Right, right. And so whenever we're on a path of healing, we always want to find tools that we can work with that we know will be effective. There are a lot of people who spend their whole life in therapy or they spend 30 years on Zoloft or Prozac or they, you know, can never heal their depression or addiction or anxiety. And I think what I love about psychedelics is when they are used in a safe container, when they're used with intention and uh, with a sense of responsibility, the clinical evidence is quite overwhelming in terms of their efficacy. And so when I say something like optimal healing, it really is what are the ideal tools that we can utilize and leverage to accelerate our path towards healing. And um, the reason why psychedelics are much more effective than a lot of the current modalities that are available is because they allow us to actually go into the trauma or the story or the narrative that has negatively impacted us. So a lot of mental health issues often come from childhood trauma. And uh, with typical conventional medications, SSRIs, SNRIs, what they do is they blunt the, sim the symptoms. Um, and that means in the short term, you feel better. But in the long term, you never really actually heal. You just sort of numb yourself out. And so what psychedelics do is instead of numbing or blunting, they actually create this window of neuroplasticity uh, where you can have what's called a catharsis of emotion. And that by releasing the repressed anger or sadness or grief or by going into the trauma and forgiving ourselves and loving ourselves – we can actually heal uh, that trauma, which leads to which leads to a lot of people not having the symptoms of depression or not being addicted to alcohol or no longer having anxiety or PTSD after they've worked with psychedelics. And again, the key to emphasize that with this is it's really important to have a therapist or a coach who is there to support you on that process because what's really central to this healing process is the relational element uh, because so much of our mental health issues are exacerbated by a sense of loneliness, a sense of isolation. And so when we feel like we're in community, when we feel like we're supported by another human, there is a lot of benefit from that as well. Mm, yes. What a beautiful answer. Yes. Very clear. Very beautiful from my perspective. I guess the question that comes to mind now is one type of psychedelic better than than another when it comes to healing trauma? Would you say LSD or psilocybin? That's a great question. So the I love, there's a metaphor that describes this really beautiful, and that's the metaphor of the lotus flower. Mm, yeah. So the lotus flower is a symbol of enlightenment in Buddhist tradition. And whether or not, you know, your listeners are Buddhist or not, it's it can just be seen as something that represents beauty, that represents love, mm. that represents um, nature. And the, the metaphor is to, to allow, to enable a lotus flower to really blossom, 
you first have to till the soil. So you have to make sure that the seed that you're planting for that lotus flower mm -hmm. is being planted into soil that is nourishing. And so the work that has to be done there in this metaphor is tilling the soil, nourishing the soil is healing our trauma, mm -hmm. right? By healing yeah. our trauma, we create a, a healthier environment for a new seed of self to be planted. And so mm -hmm. the, the psychedelic substances that are best for healing trauma are MDMA, also called mm -hmm. ecstasy, yeah. uh, ketamine, which is currently legally available, yeah. and psilocybin, uh, which, is mm -hmm. a, which is legally available in Colorado and Oregon. So those are the three best substances to heal trauma. Once you've nourished the soil, then you get to plant the new seed. Mm. And planting that new seed is like planting a new seed of self. And so one of the classic uh, impacts of psychedelics is what we call ego dissolution. Mm. Yeah. Ego dissolution is when our default mode network, when our normal everyday personality is interrupted. And what people experience when they have this ego dissolution is ego death. And it's really like a death and rebirth process. And so when we plant that new seed of self, we're going through that death and rebirth process. And psilocybin is great for that. LSD is great for that. Um, you know, ayahuasca can be good for that. Uh, but ayahuasca is slightly more advanced. And, and once we plant that new seed of self, then we need to water the seed, mm. right? The seed yeah. needs sunlight. It needs constant nourishment. And so watering the seed, the sunlight, that's, are what we call integration practices. That's eating healthier. That's moving and exercising more. That's meditating more often. Uh, that is being more social and connected to community. It's maybe even microdosing. Microdosing is a great integration tool as well. And then once we follow that process, then when we're really looking for the flower to fully blossom, um, that's when medicines like ayahuasca which is a tea from the Amazon, a 5-MeO-DMT, also called Bufo, which is toad venom that can be smoked. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then a substance called San Pedro, which is a cacti from the Andes. And all three of these are ancient plant medicines that when used within a responsible container can really help us to blossom into this state of enlightenment. And of course, I contextualize all of this in that these are just states mm -hmm. that we experience. And yeah. it's really important that we focus on lifestyle practices like meditation, breath work, yoga, right. uh, the way we eat, our, our, our connection to community, that having and paying attention to these, these lifestyle patterns and behaviors allows that enlightened state to become a trait. And I think that shift from state to trait then allows us to stabilize at a frequency that's much higher, uh, that's much more open and compassionate and loving. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that I think is, that's the quote unquote goal. If we're on any sort of healing and transformative path, how do we stabilize at a place of awareness, of compassion, of understanding, of presence? And psychedelics can be really phenomenal tools to accelerate that process. Yes, a billion times to that. Yeah, the recognition, that basically the realization of the interconnectedness of everything, 
That's something that you mentioned in the book, and it's something that, wow, has been with me forever. But not knowing how to express that was very interesting. I mean, got myself in a lot of trouble. So mm-hmm. I love the topic of the ego death. And for some reason, that caught my attention in your book, too, because I read that and you just mentioned it again. So what is that about the ego? What is the ego? First of all, some people, they have different ideas, I guess. And what is about the ego that it's not, let's say, it's harmful for humanity? So the ego is our conception of the individual self. It's our patterns. It's our behaviors. It's our personality is what we would call. It's like, you know, I'm Paul Austin. My ego has certain traits and tendencies. And most people go through life believing that the only thing that they have is an ego, meaning the only reality that's true is this individual reality. And when you work with psychedelics, or when you meditate on a mountain for many years, or when you do breath work, or when you go into this state of what we call non-duality, you experience existence and reality beyond the ego. And what that often facilitates is what we call the ego death or ego ego dissolution. And the reason that's so fundamentally healthy is because it allows us to see, as you mentioned before, how interconnected we are to everything around us. That one mode of reality is this individual I, me, my, self. But another mode of reality is the collaborative we, right? Looking at how our energy, how the way that we live is intimately connected to our friends, to our family, to our environment. You know, we are relational beings at the core. And I think the reason that's so helpful for so many people is because, especially in American culture and Western culture, we've been so conditioned to only think about me. There's this sense of selfishness that's been, um, you know, become the the most prominent way of, of living. And if that's not balanced, by a sense of compassion, a sense of openness, a sense of interconnectedness, then things can get very difficult for the individual. So one of the sort of hallmarks of depression, anxiety, OCD, alcoholism, is a very, very restricted ego, a very, very constricted ego. Um, And so when we take a psychedelic, it interrupts that and it allows us to see, oh, I don't have to be a prisoner to my ego any longer. I can actually choose to be something outside and beyond that. I have choice. I have agency. I can actually choose to shift and change and adapt myself. Because the truth is, we need the ego for certain things. The ego is really good at helping us to pay our taxes. You know, to, <laughs> yes. to, to sort of do the mm-hmm. mundane, uh, uh, everyday mm. uh, reality of things. Uh, yeah. But when the ego becomes the only thing, it's like a prison cell. Um, and so when psychedelics help us to break outside of that, it just allows us to be more playful. It actually improves creativity. It allows us to become better listeners and to be more compassionate. And so I, I really think, you know, individuals, society and culture as a whole, we're looking to psychedelics to help balance ourselves because we become so egotistical. We become so focused on things that are superficial, on consumerism, on money, on uh, me, my, I, that we've forgotten the sort of collective and collaborative nature of existence 
And psychedelics, when we work with these substances, help us to remember that. And I think that remembrance is so important in helping with our mental health. It's so important to remember, you know, the importance of taking care of our environment. Um, it's so important to run our businesses in a different way where we're not just focused on money, 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 but we're really looking at, okay, how can we positively impact the lives of people uh, with the work that we're doing? And so I think that balance is is so necessary and needed. Yes, yes. Another billion times to that truth. Paul, I love your clarity. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, gosh, you just kind of paused me for a while here. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yes. So I recently tried lion's mane. I never had never mm. tried that before. And I already mm-hmm. had some of the, because um, I'm very, it seems like my brain's very sensitive. I don't know. Something happened where my, I started dreaming in a very different way. And the dreams, they're kind of bringing the, um, some trauma that I had before that I didn't know was a trauma, actually. I was kind of giving a spiritual, almost interpretation to, to, to that experience. And then with Lion's Mane, it just made it clear to me there was a trauma. So I had been traumatized by that experience. So I just want to say that because if I were to try microdosing, the only thing that in a way that gets in the way is the idea of intention. Because I love the idea of being guided by whatever it's calling me. I feel myself as life itself. So it's not really something that's separate from anything else. And that didn't Mm -hmm. come from psychedelic experience. Although I did have one when I went to a meditation retreat in France and they gave it to me voluntarily. Wow. Combination of LSD with something else. Then Anyway, so... Well, I had a bad trip then. I remember feeling very scared mm. and all that. But then the reason why I also stopped the idea of even suing the the the, the center, it was because it was opened up a lot for me. It kind of made me see clear some of my past, some of my actions. So that was a valid experience, although it was not, it didn't feel safe, but it was valid. So yeah, going back to the idea of intention, I would love to hear from you how, if I were to try how do I dance with that? Because I, I love the idea of listening to life itself and being guided and not setting intentions as, a, as if is a plan that I have. That's a, that's a great question. So how do we balance focusing the mind with surrendering yeah. to mm-hmm. whatever is, is moving through us? I think right. a lot of it, a lot of the intention behind intention is to spend the time really reflecting on who I am reflecting on uh, where it is that I'm going, reflecting on where where is it that life is bringing me and creating a space for um, healing and transformation. And so when we when we talk about intentions, whether that's with a high dose of a psychedelic or a microdose, I think spending time journaling and clarifying just allows us to see reality, in a clearer way. Um, and when we work with a psychedelic, what's happening, even at a microdose level, is our normal consciousness is becoming expanded. And so all of a sudden, we become more aware of various things. So, um, so, so what that means is that as we're expanding the scope of consciousness, there's just a lot more information coming in. And so an intention just allows us 
to discern the signal from the noise. What information is helpful to pay attention to? What information is going to help guide me? And what information just might be noise, might be unnecessary, is something that I can ignore or not really pay attention to. Um, and I think that's where an intention can be very helpful. It just allows us, because even when we're being moved by life, there are still detours, there are distractions, there are ways in which um, we get pulled off course. And so having an, inten an intention allows us to come back to a place of centeredness, sort of like a mantra in, in, in uh, meditation traditions, allows us to come back to a place of centeredness, remember the intention, and that allows us to be discerning about the guide, uh, about the path that we are being guided towards. And, you know, in some situations and in some cases, the intention very may well be, and often the intention is just to surrender. Right. And uh, so why that's helpful is, especially right. with high doses of psychedelics, the ego, the mind has a tendency to come back and say, wait, yeah. don't forget about me. Yes. Or like, <laughs> I don't want to be, you know, uh -huh. dissolved or uh -huh. like, what about blah, 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 blah. Uh -huh. And so having that intention, that, that mantra of, okay, surrender, 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 that can allow us to let go more and more and more which allows the real insights and downloads to come. Yes, that really resonates with me. Yeah, the surrender piece. For some reason, mm. that, that has been my true guide. <laughs> surrender and letting go of what is not me. Easy said than done. <laughs> has mm -hmm. been an interesting experience. So yeah, I love the, the title of your company, the name of your company, Third Wave, I guess, because mm -hmm. I love the ocean too. So talk to me about that. I mean, the book, you, you're very clear, you describe how it came to be. So I would love the, the listeners to know uh, why you call your company Third Wave. That's a great question. So the first wave of psychedelics was the ancient and indigenous use of these powerful medicines. So what a lot of people don't realize or don't know is that we've been utilizing psychedelic substances for thousands and thousands of years, right? right. There's right. there's archaeological evidence in Mexico of uh, a cacti called peyote being used 15,000 years ago. Um, we have archaeological evidence that the ancient Greeks, more than 3,500 years ago, were utilizing an LSD-like potion uh, as part of something called the Eleusinian Mysteries. And then we also know that in the ancient Vedic scriptures in India, oh, yeah. they wrote about a, a substance called soma, which is believed to have been made from psilocybin mushrooms. So the first wave really rep represents that lineage of um, plant medicine use, psychedelic use by our ancient and indigenous ancestors. The second wave of psychedelics is the counterculture. It's when LSD was invented, which was in 1938. And it really helped to catalyze and kickstart another wave of interest in psychedelic substances. So in the 1950s, over a thousand clinical papers were published on the efficacy of LSD to treat addiction, alcoholism, anxiety, depression. Um, unfortunately, LSD uh, was used in a widespread way. And it was sort of tied up in the anti-war protests. Right. And so the Nixon administration at the time knew that they couldn't make protesting illegal. 
but they can make the mm. drugs that the protesters were using illegal. Mm. So they made LSD illegal so they could throw them in jail. And it wasn't until right. 2006, so about uh, 17 years ago now, there was a research paper published out of Johns Hopkins about how psilocybin could facilitate spiritual experiences. And that research paper really formed the foundation for all of the um, for the emergence in the last five, six, seven, ten years of interest in psychedelic substances. And so this is really the third wave of psychedelics. It's it's the the, the very modern use of psychedelics. And I, I define it by like, how do we still honor the ritual and the lineage? and the ceremonial aspect of these psychedelic plant medicines, the ways that we've been using them for thousands of years, and how do we pair that with science and precision and ensuring that these treatments and these, these experiences are personalized to the person who's going through with them. And so the third wave is really about the synthesis of those two, the ancient with the cutting edge. Um, and done so within a context where, you know, we have a mental health crisis, we have an ecological crisis, we have what people would call a meaning crisis. Um, and so psychedelic substances can really help us to find clarity in the midst of a world that a lot of people perceive um, as, you know, falling apart, as there's, there, there's a lot of challenges right now. Um, and so the, the progress has been incredible. I mean, or as I mentioned before, Oregon and Colorado have both legalized psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, the FDA will approve mm -hmm. MDMA yeah. to treat PTSD wow. uh, next year. So MDMA will be available to treat PTSD. And, you know, there have been over $2 billion of investment that has gone into the psychedelic sector. And most interestingly, uh, Cal Berkeley, the University of California, Berkeley, which is quite a prestigious institution, they now have a psychedelic research center and they did a survey of Americans. And in that survey, they found that two thirds of Americans support legal psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. And so I think that's huge. And it just goes to show you that these medicines have really become destigmatized over the last several years. And they're now becoming more accessible and more available to both treat mental health, but also, you know, my emphasis and focus has always been on um, leadership, performance, wellness, right? Like how can psychedelics be used to um, not just get us back to baseline, but really help us to um, explore our, our greatest potential? Oh, I love that. Yes. I mean, what a, what a wonderful vision. And speaking of vision, what is your vision for the future when it comes to psychedelics? Do you see it being actually legal everywhere in the country where people can actually try without um, seeing a therapist? They just have that intention, as you mentioned, to, to transform their lives, to explore their own potential. Is that something that you see coming? So... I would anticipate that the majority of Americans will have access to legal psychedelics by the end of this decade. Wow. Um, really? So uh -huh. I already mentioned Colorado and Oregon. 
the FDA will approve MDMA next year, meaning any prescribing physician can prescribe MDMA for PTSD by next year in 2027, so in about three, four years. The FDA is expected to approve psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in, in magic mushrooms for depression. And, you know, there are a lot of states, Massachusetts, California, uh, Michigan, uh, Maryland, even New York, that have bills in the legislature to legalize psychedelics. So it's happening mm -hmm. quite rapidly. Yeah. And what I'm really focused on through third wave um, just to finish that part is third wave is really focused on the cultural integration of psychedelic substances, that the challenge in the counterculture, the 50s and 60s, was we had all the clinical research, but we couldn't bridge the cap. We couldn't bring psychedelics out of clinics and academic institutions and integrate them into our everyday life. And that's why I love microdosing so much, because I think microdosing is a great way for folks to start working with psychedelic substances in a, in a way that's non-threatening. That's not that intimidating. I, you know, my my mantra, or sort of the phrase that I love for this third wave of psychedelics is to start low, and go slow. And this was what we teach a lot of our coaches and practitioners. So we have a training program for therapists, doctors, coaches, practitioners, and how to work with psychedelics. And one thing that we emphasize in that training program is that it's really important to meet clients where they're at and to guide them on a process of transformation with patience, with compassion, and with understanding. Um, because these substances are needed now. They're quickly becoming more accessible, which is great. And, you know, a lot of this, this healing and transformation can't be rushed. It does take time. It does take patience. And when we try to rush it, sometimes it can be more harmful than helpful. And so I think what's really critical with this, with this third wave of psychedelics, as these become more and more accessible, is that we emphasize the importance of microdosing, is that we, we, we spend the necessary time and energy to train coaches and practitioners, sort of this professional class, to provide prep experience and integration for psychedelics, and that we remember that real healing happens in community. And so I think that's the, the sort of emphasis of third wave is it's a, this is a movement, right? This is a movement of pioneers. This is a movement of people who really believe in the potential and power of psychedelics to heal and transform and that we are in this together. Um, and I think that aspect of community, we so often forget, we're so isolated and lonely these days that we forget the power of community. And so one of the most beneficial things about third wave is we actually have uh, an online platform, a free community. You can literally download the app from the app store. It's called Third Waves Community, where you can go and you can connect with people from all over the world about how to work with psychedelic substances. And so I think that community aspect is central to the vision of how psychedelics will be integrated into our cultural fabric. Yes. Uh, ah, what's not to love about it? Everything about it's just incredibly not just helpful, but needed. And I'm wondering if this is actually the, you probably have heard that, the, you know, everything is alive, obviously. Um, those, mm -hmm. So the, that's the spirit of psychedelics is to help humanity to evolve to, to the point of seeing the truth of what they are, not even who they are, but what, what we are. That's what I 
I see without psychedelics, <laughs> yet without trying. That's what I see, though, from my spiritual work, of course. I'm very much um, into spirituality and everything you say is just very much, it just goes back to the principles, spiritual principles. And I'm a student of Vedanta, non-duality. It's mm. interesting that you talk about the Vedas and the Upanishads and all that. Psilocybin, probably, they, they probably tried that. Not even probably. There's some reference to that. Some, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it, it's not like 100% uh, yeah. confirmed, undoubtedly, because it's hard to track things that happened that long ago. But th- they suspect that there, there was a psychedelic like potion that they, that they utilized for sure. Right. Um, so that's kind of interesting, I would say, mm-hmm. <laughs> because of my connection with that culture. So you also, I want to mention the podcast. You do host the podcast titled Third Waves Podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And I'll have all of this, your links on the podcast profile here. Great. I have so many questions for you. I know not enough time. So mm-hmm. I guess I'll ask you this question that a lot of people want to know. Is microdosing for everyone, Paul? It's a great question. So, you know, there are a small percentage of people who, uh, you know, have contraindications, meaning they should not use psychedelics. And those are people who have a family history or personal history of psychosis or schizophrenia. Um, And those are also people who may have, you know, a history of of certain types of drug abuse or addiction. Um, But by and large, I would say 95% of people could benefit from microdosing psychedelics. Now, again, what's important to emphasize is that um, it needs to be safe. It needs to be effective. It needs to be in a in a you know in a way that feels great. Ideally, there's a coach or a therapist. You know, there are certain people who are on Prozac or Zoloft or other psychiatric medications, Adderall, Ritalin, who, if they want to work with microdosing, should do that under the guidance of a trained professional. So even through Third wave, we have uh, professionals, coaches, therapists that you can work with if you're interested in in doing that. So I think it can benefit a lot of people. There are certain risks. There are certain people who microdosing is contraindicated for. But again, by and large, this is a really powerful and effective modality. And I think, you know, it can help not only heal trauma, but also help us to be uh, better leaders, better listeners and better lovers. Mm. <laughs> You're throwing that in there. Yes. <laughs> we are almost at the end again. I want to mention a phrase that I found in your book that caught my attention immediately. You say, fear is the opposite of freedom. But talk to me for a moment about that. What is your idea of freedom? What is freedom? So freedom is agency. It really is the capacity to choose the life that we want to live, to not be held back by what we think you know, culture wants for us, society wants for us, our parents want for us, our friends want for us. It's really about the courage to um, ask ourselves, what do I want? What do I want to create? How do I want to live? And um, fear constricts us. Fear holds us back. And so when we can step outside of that, when we can remember how amazing it feels to be an expansive and creative being, then that's when we really get to play with life. And I think this this concept of play and being able to play is really what freedom is all about. 
Mm, yes, um, beautifully said. Yeah, th- yes, playfulness. We do need more of that too. <laughs> I guess I asked the question because freedom. Yeah, it's really for me. It's not easy to. It's something that it's. It's almost like not possible to within the human experience when we think about you know freedom of pain, for example, not being hurt and all that. I mean. Th- it's almost like it doesn't exist because in order to experience this, we need to kind of go through some pain. It's unavoidable. Uh, but then mm-hmm. what I, when I think about freedom, it's always the idea of being freedom itself that it kind of uh, attracts me. Like, oh, I'm already free um, when it comes from that essence of what I am. So I guess I asked the question because fear and freedom to me belongs to the realm of the human experience. With psychedelics, which I have talked to some people here about it too, it's easy to, in my own meditation, of course, experiences, it's easy to kind of to realize that we are the experience, but at the same time, we are not. There's something that knows that in here. So, but I, for some reason, that caught my attention again, and I wanted to um, explore the idea of freedom. Thank you for sharing your perspective. You're welcome. So let's see, Paul, we're almost at the end and I love your book. I have to go back to it. Everything is there for anyone interested in microdosing. Everything. You're just very generous with the information. I love that too. And I love the way you talk about leadership. I know you're an entrepreneur and you're doing this work. And I see, you know, I see that intention that you speak of very much present. So thank you for being true to that. Even in the way you speak, your presence, it, it, it reflects that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So before we say goodbye for today, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in your book? I wish I had my book with me right now at my desk. I don't. But I think, I think, I think the last thing that I would say is, you know, to go back to what I mentioned before, start low and go slow, that this process you know, you don't need to jump in the deep end right away. That with uh, yeah. a tool like microdosing, you can sort of slowly open up your consciousness and um, and to make sure you do it with someone who is a coach or a therapist or professional, that it's really helpful to, to have support if you want to walk this path. And, um, and that um, at the end of the day, psychedelics are a catalyst. They help us to remember our power and our sovereignty and our freedom. And they are not the thing itself. Mm, and so I think mm. that's also important to emphasize that these are great tools for remembering, but there is something deep within us that um, is is guiding us and taking care of us. And psychedelics are just, they're a tool to help us, to help us remember that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. This as well. Yeah. It's really, it's close to my heart what you just said. <laughs> yes. Mm. It, all the answers are here, right? We're just being guided to remember. Yes. Ah, what's not to love about your message? (laughs) (laughs) Everything you do is just so amazing. So I have to ask you this last question. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? I would say one would be, you know, on brand, a psychedelic experience. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think two is living in a foreign country, Mm, um, somewhere where you don't speak the language and don't know the customs. And I think three is, you know, to be in love and to um, to have someone that you can share uh, your life with, whether that's for 10 years or 50 years. I think that experience of being in love and committed is 
is beautiful. So psychedelics, live in a foreign country, and love. Those, <laughs> those are the three. Yes. Um, how wonderful. Thank you so much again for being genuine, for being present to what is true to you and for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, goodbye, where's the best place to find more information about you and everything that you do, Paul? So Mastering Microdosing is the book that's on Amazon. Third Wave is our platform. That's thethirdwave.co. We also have a training program for coaches, practitioners. Uh, that's at the Psychedelic Coaching Institute. So psychedeliccoaching.institute. And then finally, I'm on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Paul Austin 3W. Mm, yes, I'll have all those links on the podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Paul. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Paul F. Austin and his work, please visit paulaustin.co, thethirdwave.co, and psychedeliccoaching.institute. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.